Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we're back with a big movie roundup. September has been quite a month for movies, from festivals to just regular releases and great box office returns. So that's what we'll be talking about today. The big two of the past two weeks entering at number one are The Women King and Don't Worry Darling. We'll also be talking about some fun movies that will creep our way into October coming very soon. So we'll be talking about Do Revenge, which also came out on Netflix last week. And then a few others we liked, Barbarian, Pearl, some like horror-themed movies. A few others as well. I don't want to spoil all of them. Yeah, it's good to be back at the movies. People are going back to the movies. And they're seeing original stories. Seeing that Mm -hmm. the top four movies at the box office this past weekend were Don't Worry Darling, The Woman King, Pearl, and Barbarian. Mm -hmm. We love to see it. (laughs) No Marvel movies, no franchise films. Well... I guess Pearl is sort of a franchise film now. It's a sequel, but you know what I mean. It's okay it's an indie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, I think, to see audiences like going back for genre films. And I'm excited to talk about these today. I guess I always feel like a humbug when award <laughs> season comes around because there's been so much praise. And usually out of festivals, it's like overwhelmingly positive. Mm-hmm. I feel like this year was a bit different. But once I finally go see those movies... Things have been built up so much that I just don't like anything. And I'm like, what am I missing? What is going wrong here? And then I feel like the naysayer every time we talk about movies. No, me too. I mean, my comment will be on a movie that's like pretty mixed. But yeah, I feel like lately it's just been especially all over Twitter, which is why I've tried to stay off of it more than Mm -hmm. I like last season where I feel like I was on it all the time because... People just, they go to festivals and they tweet these random stream of consciousness thoughts about a movie that are incredibly hyperbolic, whether they're positive or negative. And all my anticipation is built up then. I'm like, oh, this is supposedly the best performance I'm going to see in my lifetime? (laughs) No. Like, maybe it is, but let me decide for myself. (laughs) It does, though, even if it's silly, influence the way I view these movies. So I'm trying Mm -hmm. to stay as far away from it as possible. Through the peak of those festivals that we had the past few weeks, that was very hard to do. But for the big ones here on out, I'm not watching the trailers. I'm trying to go in blind. You know, I hear the, I am your mother from Michelle Williams, but like am visibly looking away from the screen during the Fableman's trailer. Mm -hmm. Things like that to try to help, yeah, pique my interest and not have things ruined. Yeah. I I also don't like that. You would have been so proud of me yesterday when I saw Don't Worry Darling. The um, trailer for Decision to Leave came on and I looked away. I looked at a menu <laughs> at Alamo Draft House. I was like, uh-uh, we're not watching this trailer at all. Not The happening. fact that that's showing, that's great. I was going to say, MC's not playing that. So let's get started then with The Woman King. Description here. The Woman King is the remarkable story of the Agogie, the all-female unit of warriors who protected the African kingdom of Dahomey in the 1800s. Inspired by true events, The Woman King follows the emotionally epic journey of General Naniska as she trains the next generation of recruits and readies them for battle against an enemy determined to destroy their way of life. This was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood and stars Viola Davis, Tuso Mbedu, Lashana Lynch, John Boyega, 
So this movie is the second movie of the year to get an A-plus cinema score after Top Gun Maverick. Audiences are loving this movie. And I know we had talked about The Woman King briefly, like in our very early Oscar predictions as a movie to watch out for because of Viola Davis. She's describing this movie as her magnum opus. She's incredibly proud of this film and the fact that it came together in the way that it did and that audiences and critics are seeming to love it. But what did you think of The Woman King? The first thing that comes to mind when I think about my viewing experience and I think just the feat of what they accomplished on screen is that it's a bold movie. Viola Davis campaigning so hard for this makes so much sense too. I don't necessarily think she's the star of the movie, but she gives a great performance. And I think in terms of Gina having directed this, it like very much fits into her filmography. I will say it's much better than her last film, The Old Guard, which we did talk about, what, two years ago now? Yeah, that was a really early episode where we talked about the old guard. (laughs) I remember you really didn't like This kept my attention much more, which really isn't saying much comparing it to that. But there's heart in the movie. There's action. There's drama. She, I think at times, tries to fit too much into this movie. I didn't necessarily need all of the romance. I maybe wanted her to go bigger on the action and the gore and... All of those fight scenes, which I think were good, but even could have gone further. Maybe that's where she tried to balance it out and bringing a different group of audiences in or just more audiences in general. Maybe going too gory on things would have deterred. It's not necessarily a family film, but like, I guess, younger viewers in general. Or maybe just, I don't know if it's female audiences she was worried about, since it is a mostly female cast I don't, I don't know about that. I think the hardest parts of the movie are related to those things. The first, it's PG-13. So when that happens, I think that some of the action can feel a little tame. Some of it I loved. Like I loved when the women would poke the eyes out with their nails. But I wanted to mm-hmm. see that like more. I was, you know, a woman in the audience and I wanted more gore. I think it's just maybe... I think it was maybe the battles that they had making this movie. I think if this movie had even another 50 million in its budget, we could have seen better action sequences. The production design would have been stronger. The craft elements that we expect from a lot of big action epics that are directed by men and that star men and that are these like, think about like a 1917 or a Dunkirk, something Mm -hmm. like that. Like they get the funding to make those and Gina Prince Bythewood and Viola Davis had to fight tooth and nail to get this made and I think they did the most with the budget that they had but I was longing for a bigger budget so that we could just get I don't know get stronger technical elements there some of them I did think were great like the costumes for instance Mm -hmm. I thought the costume design was was really well done and There's a lot of variety in the costumes, but I agree with you about the story as well. There are so many different narrative threads happening that sort of Mm -hmm. take little twists and turns as you're on the story. And I do think that I wanted some more focus, but I didn't have trouble focusing and I did enjoy all of them. I don't think we necessarily needed the romance between Naoi and Malik, but... I know that that's sort of another interest of Gina Prince-Bythewood. She's so interested in romance and in depicting romance on screen. 
you think about love and basketball, like she's always interested in those sorts of relationships. But I felt the film was strongest, actually, when it was talking about the relationships between the Agogie women, whether it was between Naniska and Amenza, who have known each other for years, or the incredible Lashana Lynch in this movie. Like, I, I loved her. I thought she was hilarious and just this much needed bit of comic relief, whether it was her, you know, training Naoi and teaching her the ways or between Naniska and Naoi, like seeing her grow. And I think that Viola Davis, her performance shines brightest when she's opposite to so like they when they're acting together opposite each other. There are a couple of scenes where I was just thinking like this is some of the best acting we're going to see in a movie this year. And I love how well-developed these characters are and they they just feel strong and honestly like this is maybe me bringing too much of myself into this but after seeing blonde and just feeling like totally drained and kicked down and just like it sucks to be a woman it's a horrible horrible time in this world it was just kind of fun (laughs) to see these women just killing all of these men Mm -hmm. that was fun I really enjoyed that and I feel like that's why a lot of people are finding it so empowering, like not just because it's fun to see these women go after these horrible, horrible men, but because when do we have a black led, nearly all women cast at the front of an adult drama? Like it's so rare. So I'm so glad the audiences have that. And I feel like it really is such an empowering story. And I love the first, like one of the first shots in the movie, I really love when you're just kind of looking out at this field with this tall grass and they all sort of pop up in the Mm -hmm. night and you see them coming. Like that was really cool. I was like, okay, I'm ready. This is going to be a good movie. Yeah. It's the perfect way to start that movie is them bombarding this group of men and murdering them to pieces. And I guess from there, or even from the scrolling in the beginning of telling us what we're about to see the relationship between the Agogie and the Oye tribes from there it felt very linear to me even when I don't know if you can even call it a twist but when oh yeah Naoi's role is revealed like Mm -hmm. that wasn't really shocking to me there was quite a lot of build-up to that moment and I think they even came back to it a second time before they actually told us but I almost wanted that or something else to either make the story more complex or kind of veer us in a new direction that maybe felt bigger than where we started of this good tribe of women destroying the men, overcoming the evil themes and motifs that felt pretty simple, pretty easy to accomplish. And that maybe made this feel for me like a 2000s, early 2010s kind of movie. Yeah, and I I do think it's been compared to movies from that time. I've seen a lot of comparisons to Gladiator being thrown around. It is similar structurally to a lot of those, like, sword and sandals epics that we have, or an historical epic. It's very similar. Yes, it could have gone further, but I liked that it was sort of an easy story to take in about a topic that I didn't know much about. Like, if you put something about, like, the Middle Ages in front of me, Or like The Last Duel, for example. (laughs) I know that time period and those people very well. So it's not as fun. It might be fun for me to be in that world because I'm more familiar with it because of historical fiction or nonfiction that I read. But I didn't know much about the Agogie at all. 
So it was fun, I think, to learn more about this group, but also know that this movie like wasn't made to teach me. Like I, I liked that. It was just made as an entertaining film. And I did appreciate the twist. I really liked the twist. I don't want to spoil it for people, but there are a couple of things that go into the twist and one of them leading up to it, there is a look that Viola Davis gives. And before we even get a flashback to show us what happened to her, I knew what happened to her just based on the look. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is powerful, powerful acting right there and why she's considered one of the best of the best. While it may not have, you know, incredibly new things to say structurally or, you know, in its format, it's still, I think, exciting that there are so many new types of stories that can be told if they just get funding from studios like Mm -hmm. they did with The Woman King. So I think it's, it's exciting that it's doing so well. And I would definitely recommend going to see The Woman King. Nearly everyone I talked to who has seen this movie really has enjoyed it. And I did cry a couple of times watching it. Yeah, it really hit me emotionally. (laughs) I feel like that needs to be a stamp for movies. Not when I cry. Yeah, when you cry. (laughs) I know, because it is a bit more rare. It's more rare. Yeah. (laughs) My tears approve of this movie. Because I was was genuinely very moved by... Mm -hmm certain sections of this film more than others definitely not the romance though but that's another story i mean i'm not hating on malik's presence in the movie at all when he showed up especially at that scene like by the river i was Mm. like okay this is a welcome addition (laughs) i also at one point on twitter saw like boycott woman king and i was like what is what now like what could be wrong there's always something yeah and I mean, apparently the actual history of the Agogie, this is a big stretch of who they actually were. And they actually helped the slave trade for like many more years and things that they were championing against in the movie. It's not going to deter me from disliking a movie. I think they created a pretty welcome film, you know, of telling this story of this tribe composed of people that we don't have stories of on screen. And... That's an issue of Hollywood. They they kind of talk about that. And I feel like this should have been a movie like 10, 15 years ago because it shouldn't have those barriers. But I think we're having that conversation now because of, you know, the films that we do have. We have, again, we're talking about two films today directed by women entering at number one in the box office. So I think it's just the time for it. A quick comment on the controversy because I feel sort of like There are multiple things that can be true, right? Like this film cannot do a great job of talking about who the Agogie actually were and, you know, maybe not do the most thorough job exposing a certain type of evil that might have been present during the Atlantic slave trade. However, I do wonder like how much of the criticism around the movie is just because people want to criticize a movie about black women, especially powerful black women taking down men and I do think that the film it doesn't shy away from talking about the Atlantic slave trade I think it is aware definitely of its place in history so while maybe it doesn't go doesn't share like an actual true story of what happened it does make it known that it is a fictionalized narrative and Viola Davis's character like even speaks 
about it and how it's wrong in the movie. So I feel like people are just looking for something to talk about. And there are probably some insidious reasons behind it as well. And this isn't the first historical drama we've ever gotten. Right. Everyone that came before that is also fictionalized to some extent. So I don't think this one thing invalidates the entire movie. And I really do hope it gets appreciated in multiple categories. So I guess we can kind of transition into talking about the Oscars and how the Academy will receive this. We mentioned the costumes. We mentioned some of the actresses. Do you feel like it can get in in both of those and or other categories? I definitely think it can. I think it has a lot of potential here because it's making a lot of money and it's very popular. It's popular with audiences. It's popular with critics. It's popular in the industry. Not only did Kerry Washington like buy out theaters so people could go see this for free, but Jane Fonda was tweeting about how much she liked this movie. So I feel like if enough people in the industry like it and it sustains momentum, like why can't it be in in multiple categories? So I'm hopeful. I think this year is mm-hmm. also, it's hard because a lot of these movies that are coming out at festivals are sort of flopping. Maybe they're just flopping with critics and we'll see how that changes when the industry votes. But I don't know, like Empire of Light got sort of a lukewarm, tepid reaction. The Sun had horrible horrible reactions to it and same with bardo i think there are a lot of things that are very much up in the air with a lot of the films that have come out this year so i think that for something like this that has a lot of passion behind it and sort of like has the goods to back it up i think Mm -hmm. it can definitely happen as far as the costumes specifically go the costumes were done by gersha phillips who has never been nominated before But she was nominated twice um, at the Guilds for her work on a Star Trek show. So she hasn't had a lot of recognition in the industry so far, but maybe that can change. This is sort of her first big, big movie. It seems like that has the potential to be recognized in the category. And they, the Academy always does, like, period costumes and historical costumes, so it's definitely possible. But I do think that a majority of nominations and support will come in the acting categories i think that this movie can definitely contend for sag ensemble considering like how many people are scene stealers in this movie i think specifically the three that i would count on would be lashana lynch tuso and Bedu and viola davis those three are definitely the strongest but you have a pretty deep bench here that you could recognize at sag and they do tend to recognize at least one or two more popular films in the mix. So I could definitely see that happening. And then we can talk about Viola and the potential for that. But what do you think? Yeah, the recent shakeup with all the actress categories kind of has me waiting and just like compiling a long list because I do think Tuso and Lashana have a chance now that Michelle has left and things are kind of opening up, but people are probably saying, like, Sadie Sink can get in too. So it's allowing for people to just put in anyone right now, and I don't know if they're, like, actual potentials. I feel like maybe at the Golden Globes, they have more potential to get in there. I think Viola is the only, like, more sure thing I feel about with the Oscars, but I also agree that of all the technical elements, costumes would be the strongest. Some of the elements of like production design, 
cinematography, editing, screenplay, I don't think those are strong enough to get in at the Oscars, considering like all of these other bigger works that already have the attention. It would take, I think, a lot more effort, probably a bigger budget, more marketing, even a heavier awards campaign than Davis has been on so far to like actually get in some of those smaller categories that aren't already jumping out at you. Do you think that Viola will get in? I feel like people being shocked we had her on our very early predictions was saying something, but if I have to answer yes or no right now, I'm going to say yes. I think it can definitely happen. I mean, if right now my list is Michelle, Kate, Michelle, and Viola, and then there's still a fifth that can get in from certain other movies, but those feel like the strongest to me. You would say yes to, or... I would. I mean, people were so surprised that we had Viola, both of us, in our top five. And to that, I want to just ask why. Why are you surprised that a previous winner who is loved by the industry is in a top five for Best Actress? I mean, yes, this is a very competitive year for Actress. But to me, like the only person who is has a clearer path in my head to a Best Actress win is Kate. Blanchett. She's already won twice. Another previous nominee and winner. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, everyone loves this performance. So I understand, like, why she's up there. But, I mean, any of the people that are listing, like, Olivia Coleman, it's like, yes, I completely get that. The Academy loves Olivia. And they've loved Olivia a lot the past few years. But I think it's safe to say they love Viola just as much. Mm -hmm. And then the whole thing with, like, Naomi Aki with I Want to Dance with Somebody. Again, why? That trailer looks terrible, and I know that a trailer isn't everything, but there is no reason in my mind that she should be higher on anyone's list than Viola. I mean, it's the same reason that we talked about on After Dark about J-Lo not getting in for Selena. It's like, this is her first leading role of a big movie. You can't trust that they're going to nominate you just because you're good, or you transform in their performance, or you look like... The musician that you're portraying, yes, these are all biopics. I, yeah, I agree. I don't believe that they're shoe-ins just because. We also need to keep in mind, like, Danielle Deadweiler, who's very overdue for a nomination, I think. Like, she has Till coming out, and Jennifer Lawrence has Causeway coming out. But I just, I don't see a world where Viola isn't at least getting nominated at Globes or SAG. Mm-hmm. And that she's not talked about in a really real way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think people need to start taking her and the movie more seriously. But Michelle Williams being in lead really did throw a wrench in everything. Really everything. Just because, again, we could put both of them in supporting. We could put one of them. I, I don't know at this point. It's the fun of it. We're still in the fun time. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? It would be Best Actress for Viola Davis. It's her movie to me. I think that even though like some of the other actresses are incredible and why the movie works as well as it does, I think it's her movie. And she surprised me in it. I sort of thought I knew what Viola was going to do in a movie like this, and I didn't. What about you? I'm actually going to give it to Gersha Phillips for the costumes. We always shoot for the bigger categories, I think. <laughs> uh-huh. Last year, we had Cruella, and I think this would be a great follow-up. You know, you have these original costumes of this 1800s tribe in Africa, and 
I mean, they were beautiful. The colors really popped. The textures allowing them to run all over. I mean, the women also talked about their journey training for this movie and getting so fit. I think the costumes allow them to work so well. And I mean, even when you look at John Boyega's robes and everything being so opulent and contrasting the rich with the people of this city and outside of this city, the the kingdom, I think it all all works really well together. That's a good pick. Okay, so moving on to the fiasco of the season. <laughs> Don't worry, darling. Here goes our like oral history of everything that happened. My God, that would take hours. The description here, in the 1950s, Alice and Jack live in the idealized community of Victory, an experimental company town that houses the men who work on a top secret project. While the husbands toil away, the wives get to enjoy the beauty, luxury, and debauchery of their seemingly perfect paradise. However, when cracks in her idyllic life begin to appear, exposing flashes of something sinister lurking below the surface, Alice can't help but question exactly what she's doing in Victory. It's directed by Olivia Wilde, stars Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Kiki Lane, Gemma Chan, and more. This was another movie for me where... There was so much hype, or I guess anti-hype, that going into the movie, I had already shut off my brain. So when I left, I was like actually somewhat entertained, way more than I expected to be, I guess. Like I didn't hate it. It wasn't this half a star movie that I, you know, saw at Venice. Like it wasn't the worst thing I'd ever seen. But I think since then, a lot has changed. I've thought about it way too much, and that's (laughs) causing issues, but... How did you feel about it? Did all of the press beforehand, all of the drama between everybody, did that affect it for you? It really didn't affect it for me. I wish that the movie was as exciting as the gossip surrounding it. Mm -hmm. That's my comment on that. And it brings me no joy to say that I really didn't like this movie at all. (laughs) And on paper, it's something that I really should enjoy. It's so beautiful, and it's a period film, theoretically, and the cinematography is beautiful. The costumes, it has a good cast, minus a certain someone, and it just all fell apart so quickly to me. It was just like all style, no substance. Mm -hmm. I think it was trying so hard to be a commentary without actually being any kind of story that made any sense whatsoever there were so many loose threads that were pulled out of nowhere so many obvious symbols that didn't amount to anything that i just was i was left feeling like very let down and just honestly kind of annoyed and i think i have to point out to chinatown and rosemary's baby are two of my favorite movies and i think that making a sharp visually haunting while also funny and biting drama or thriller that's really hard to do like it's hard for anyone to do and here it just the parts never added up to a whole for me Mm -hmm. i have so many so many things to say but i think that my love of those two movies in particular really set this movie up for failure 
once I started noticing that she probably likes those movies a lot too. You can see all of the movies that inspired this movie. And I think she was trying to pick from so many that it just got out of hand so quickly. It also shocks me that like this movie had such a bidding war. Like, what script were you reading that so many people Not were fighting this. over this? I, I I understand that Booksmart was, I think, a hit and probably underrated in terms of wider audiences seeing it. But I think Wilde did a really good job there. Maybe it was other elements. Maybe it was because the story wasn't trying to be so complex either that it worked really well. But yeah, now I have way more questions than... I did going into this movie. You're left with so many things. I feel like the movie is just a film of red herrings. And by the end of it, you have forgotten most of them because so many more have come up that you forget about them. (laughs) Like, there's so many things happening in this movie that are never explained. (laughs) And it's not... I love ambiguity. You know that. Like, I don't need Mm -hmm. things to be spelled out for me. Show, don't tell. But... It's almost like the script forgot they were there because it's like, okay, you know, when she's cracking the eggs and nothing's coming out, like there's no yolk or anything. I'm like, okay, that's like an on the nose, but maybe trying to be somewhat interesting way to say that she doesn't have kids or she can't have kids or there's something going on there. So then I expected the plot to turn into, oh my gosh, this doctor who's sort of like the Dr. Saperstein and Rosemary's baby is trying to do something to mess up her ability to get pregnant. No, that that never happened. There's mm-hmm. nothing about that, really. There is a loose one-off line that they might try to have a kid. I think for the rest of this discussion, we need to, we're going to spoil it because it's sort of impossible to talk about without talking about the ending and the problems of the third act and why that just made me roll my eyes and just sent me further out of the theater. <laughs> so... We have timestamps. Skip to the next section. If you don't want, don't worry, darling, to be spoiled. I think also from what I liked, because it's a short list, I liked the cinematography. I didn't always like what they did with the editing of it all, but seeing that Matthew Libatique was the DP, he does most of, if not all of Aronofsky's work, including The Whale, which is coming out, and A Star is Born from a few years ago. I think that kept me in the movie. You see this idyllic community in Palm Springs, like quintessential architecture from that area. And I think the costumes, like everything fit into that space really well. It was the ideas surrounding like what is beyond this community where things got really lost or within it. Like if you look too close, you kind of just have to look at that model that's in Frank's house and just enjoy that image which is this gorgeous gorgeous house i'll talk more about it later but let's just get this out of the way what did you think of harry styles in this movie and his performance because i do think like everyone has been talking about this and you know if they think it's bad if they think people are being too hard on him if they think it's comical what did you think of him here he also has another movie my policeman coming out on amazon prime I won't be watching that, and I really don't think he should act ever again, and I don't put that lightly. Mm-mm. Like, this was horrible, and I think it was only exacerbated by the fact that he was playing against Florence Pugh, who is probably in my top five, like, actresses working now. Even in the mess of all of this movie, like, she killed it. She gives the emotion that Harry can't, 
you see the dilemma in her eyes again what she's doing what she has to do for this movie some of it is nonsensical but i think what she's able to portray like even with the eggs like it's amazing to watch her work (sighs) okay harry (laughs) let me before you go does this performance change your smash or pass answer did i say did i say smash last time okay yeah it changes it big time i'm gonna have to say pass regrettably you know for everything that olivia wilde has to say about how important female pleasure was for her in this movie Mm -hmm. i find that very hard to believe because i didn't find any of that enjoyable like none of the sex (laughs) scenes like i was just like this looks literally like two robots on a 50s table and my mind actually wandered away and started thinking about john ham in mad men (laughs) when florence throws that dinner that she spent all day making i like felt bad for the dinner during that me too i was like this isn't worth it eat the food (laughs) you made this like great roast and this guy isn't anything special yeah no oh my god yeah my answer has definitely changed wow if the movie were actually connecting like firing on all cylinders and connecting i would have said you know maybe it's an interesting choice that this sex scene looks incredibly operatic and sort of robotic and Mm -hmm. isn't sexy at all maybe i would say that's a choice but i don't think it was a choice i think it was because they had no chemistry and harry styles is not good at his job he is good at his job as a singer and as a performer (laughs) like i have seen this man in concert so many times it's sad I saw him when he was with One Direction. I've seen him on his individual tours. And he puts on a great show. And I don't know why he wants to be in movies. Why is he here? Mm -hmm. Why is he doing this? I saw a tweet of, it was like, oh, now I understand why Christopher Nolan told him to stay quiet for all of Dunkirk. (laughs) It's not just bad when he's asked to do big things. Like have all of this rage or be sort of out of control and desperate those moments are bad like the moment in the car is really really bad but the worst parts are when he's just trying to have a regular conversation with her and your entire audience is cracking up Mm -hmm. because the delivery is so off and again if it were a different director or if the movie were working if that script worked i would be like this is a this is a cool choice like it's It's a guy who's out of his element and there's something more sinister going on here that explains why he's acting this way. No, there have only been a few times in my life when the crowd has laughed to Mm -hmm. a moment that was not supposed to be funny. The last time it happened to me was when I saw Cats. I mean, that's a laughable movie. My crowd also laughed during both of the scenes that they had released previously. So one, I think that tells you something about how to market a movie. And two of showing like two of the worst scenes from your movie. I don't I don't understand it. But from there and almost every moment on every time he was on screen, people were laughing. It's just it's a problem that, you know, if you put a guy in this movie like Steven Yeun, for example, I kept thinking of him like someone who is just like a really, really good looking guy who can pull off. Mm hmm that sort of charm but who also is at his best when there's something sinister underneath but i would never wish this movie on him 
No, because even though Harry was a problem, the script was the biggest problem. That's why even though, yes, like Florence Pugh is great and she's incredibly magnetic, like she always is. There's only so much you can do with that character. Like the, I just felt like her character was so basic and very predictable. But I think like despite the movie telling me I should feel just as scared as Alice, I never was. I didn't really feel anything for her. And I should have because this movie should make me feel like, oh my God, this woman is trapped here. How can she get out? But I wasn't scared or I didn't, I didn't feel anything for her because of the wild tonal shifts in this movie between characters, between scenes. I kept thinking, is this supposed to be a satire? Is this supposed to be just a straight up psychological thriller? Where are we going with this? And then in the ending, in that third act, introducing things that, again, they don't explain. Again, it it just felt so unsatisfying. Like it brings you back to the first real story that we get that, again, we don't get answers to, is which is Margaret and her son and that plane, which comes back time and time again in this movie of flashbacks to him rolling this plane that looks like the plane we see overhead fly and crash and what leads Alice to go find it which in what world are you going to walk two hours in the desert to go hike up a mountain and look over it to see where this plane goes it just none of it makes sense but let's talk about Margaret a little bit and if we know or think where her son went and like what that plane is and why they took out like all of Kiki Lane's storyline apparently like even after the release we got this instagram caption from kiki saying like well you know most of my story was taken out but i met the love of my life so got my check got my man (laughs) what does that even mean i okay this margaret character so when we see her and her son like this flashback of them going out like in the desert presumably to headquarters he's dragging this plane Mm -hmm. i was like okay this is the crux of the story whatever happened to them whatever they saw whatever they experienced like we are going to find out something big and then i thought like okay did they take her kid away from her but then we find out later that the kids aren't real (laughs) that's said specifically like that's a line of dialogue so i don't i don't know the toy plane, I think, just connects to the plane that we see that sort mm-hmm. of tricks Florence into going out there. Or why she... The plane is used... <laughs> really trying here. <laughs> this is like me trying to understand a poorly written English essay. The times that we see the planes in the movie, we see the boy with the plane and we see Alice seeing the plane crash that no one else can see or hear, apparently. So I think that the plane is supposed to be like maybe a visual cue to like escape or being able to get away but that's all i got (laughs) i was also worried because when you see the plane through the glass when she's in the trolley you see it glimmer as if it almost goes through this like wandavision invisible wall and i was like okay we're gonna have a lost finale here like that's where we're going Mm. we're entering this like special place this sci-fi world that things aren't what they seem that maybe again this was a stretch also of like the son was somebody or like if he grew up you know he was flying the plane in order to get out 
or just commit suicide and like end everything because he couldn't stand being there or they like put him on trials to fly this plane i don't know oh like he was a pilot like that was his job and victory maybe yeah who knows I like that interpretation. I also wonder if it was like something happening in their own outside world, outside of victory, that they were sort mm. of perceiving. Like she could hear it, maybe? I don't Interesting. know. <sighs> anyway, I think Kiki Lane is incredibly underused in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we could have not only had more narrative explanation for her character, but it's sort of strange i think that margaret is the only black woman in the cast and she is used in this script as the person who is responsible for telling them what's going on for alerting them to the truth and also as the person who dies for that truth and who can't handle that truth or who can't handle like other people not believing her that made me really confused I do not understand why they had this character doing the things that she was doing in this story. I don't think she needed to kill herself in the movie. It didn't add anything to the movie. It didn't scare me. It didn't really make me feel anything. It just felt like a cliche. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. When you boil all these elements down, nothing's new. Maybe it's rearranged in a new-ish way, but it's not. And like her trying to escape this patriarchal society like that was her only escape because she couldn't get out like florence eventually does yeah that's kind of a crazy thing to do in a movie made in 2022 Mm -hmm. i think that is also my big problem like the films that she cited as inspirations for this movie and the films that i recognized as clear inspirations are movies that really have a lot to say and they're pretty timeless Rosemary's Baby, Stepford Wives, The Truman Show, The Matrix. These are all movies that really hold up and they're incredible social commentaries. And you can't just, you can't make one that feels so dated and so general and that has absolutely nothing to say. And I think in order to make a social commentary that actually works and that holds up and that's prescient or stands the test of time, however you want to say it, it has to have something to say. Yes, I don't know what this movie's saying. That can be another conversation altogether. But it also has to use the knowledge that we have up to this point to make something new. This movie could have been made in 1985. It could have been made in 1960. It does not prove that this writer who I do want to point out, like Olivia, yes, she's the director, but Katie Silberman, who also wrote Booksmart, wrote this script. There's nothing in here that is of the moment to me and specific to our time that makes it feel fresh and original. I mean, I think what she's trying to do and add a perspective of is being a woman in the female independence and pleasure of it all. But she negates all of that with that ending. And how these women are being controlled in the society. So what she's doing doesn't work. So I agree. And again, she in the press rollout for this movie, she had this whole interview where she said, there's no male pleasure in this movie. It's all female pleasure. Are you telling me that women can only experience sexual pleasure in a simulation? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. Like, can women can't experience that in their real life because they're with a dirtbag who would rather put them in a virtual reality where they can? 
I don't, I just, I don't get it. I'm, I'm missing something. I just don't know what the point of that is because just recapping what happens here. I mean, when we get to the third act and we find out that, and I do think the transition, even though it's jarring, that was cool. When Alice has been taken away and she's on the like operating table and then we're in present day and she's a doctor and she goes home from work and she's with Harry Styles, who is sort of like grungy and you can tell he's just kind of like a deadbeat at home. We find out he's lost his job and he's sort of just, he's just kind of listening to podcasts all day. Not ours. Um, he probably would listen to Joe Rogan. It just becomes so cliche at that point because I guess I don't know why. So like one argument and him being galvanized by this podcast one time of her being like, I had a long day at work. I want to go to bed. I need sleep. Like, has he just had enough with himself? Like in his ego that he decides that now's the time to put her under. It's also just so it's again, it's just like it's so stereotypical like that she's a doctor and works a lot and he stays home it's like we get it men are insecure nothing new to say yeah i mean you can hear chris pine's voice when he's listening and there is the commentary there of like more people have online relationships now than like actual in person and but from that like i don't think she's pushing that to say anything different than what we already know yeah I do think Chris Pine was good in this. He didn't have a lot to do, but I yeah. I think he did a good job as this like sinister cult leader. Yeah, as the villain. I mean, I really didn't like him early on. You know, I think that's more of the performance. He's not like the Chris that I always choose, like when people are given the like Chris Pine's Evans Pratt question. Christopher Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> and Shelley, played by Gemma Chan at the and stabbing him we never get that answer either like did she know like bunny like i'm sure maybe she did because he's the leader but her saying it's her time like to run everything like is this going to be a female cult now i don't know well, when, more questions and then when they just when olivia wilde just announces like when men die they die in real life I was like, okay, wait, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> That's from a movie. That's like literally a concept from a sci-fi movie that we just made up at the end now. Crazy. It just, there was, again, there was so much. I think I really don't know what could have helped with the script. I did think that Kate Berlant, she was doing the most like in a good way where I wanted to see what she was all about. Her character, I think the way she would respond and her comedic timing was good. It just felt like she was in a different movie. She was in a movie that I wanted to be watching, which was different than this one. (laughs) Yeah, her Hulu special, like the comedy special, not this. Yeah. I also didn't love like the repetition in there. Mm -hmm. Like I get that these images are being shown to her like in the bed. They're on the ceiling, but like the women... The dancing, it just, it didn't amount to anything for me. The blood drop, everything in reverse, I was like, what, why are we doing this? I feel like it's the Clockwork Orange, like, trying to... Another movie I forgot to mention, but that it's also definitely, clearly, (laughs) an influence. Like, we're trying to hypnotize somebody, her, and it wasn't working for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so does this have Oscar potential? No, nothing. Nothing at all. You think it does? I'm just asking, like, do you think, like, you mentioned cinematography and no. production design and costume design no. and... No, no, no. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. 
Do you, though? That... <laughs> I kind of do, only in the fact that, like, I think this movie is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how... Like, I know that the drama can affect it, and that might be, like, a big reason why people decide they don't want to support it or something like that, but... I think there's a morbid curiosity around it, and I think people are going to watch it, and there are big names attached to the crafts. Ariane Phillips doing the costumes. She did the costumes for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She does great work here. I love these costumes. Matthew Libatique doing the cinematography. Katie Byron's production design. She's not a big name, but she worked on Booksmart. She did Zola. Come on, come on. I don't know. I I think there's some potential in the crafts. I really didn't like the score, which, to quote my sister, sounded like a combination of Dune and Glee. It's an unsettling score, but it doesn't make you feel enough to compound on what you're seeing. And I think a good score would have done that. There was like too much angst while nothing on screen was giving that. And so it made you feel more conflicted than I think you needed to at times. And that Mm -hmm. was off-putting. I agree. Yeah. As to other crafts... I think most of those, and yes, not all of them do. We talked about Corella earlier, but I think getting multiple crafts, ideally you're a Best Picture nominee, and this has no potential in that category. I don't think so either. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, it's going fact. to pop it's... up at guilds in those like period or sci-fi categories. I mean, that's fair, but again, a lot pops up in those guild <laughs> nominations. You're right. Because you have sometimes 10 or more nominees. So, like, fine, it, it can, but in terms of Oscars, I don't think so. You're going to say Academy nominated, don't worry, darling? No, I mean, I, I don't think it will either. And even with that original song that I listened to once it was released on Friday, and I was like, when did I hear this in the movie? I just, like, had no recollection of it. You when can... did you hear it in the movie? The whole entire movie. <laughs> But the the track that they play or that they're going to submit for, I guess, which is only Florence Pugh. And then we have Harry on piano. It's not enough there. I think Gaga has a better chance than that. And I don't have Gaga in right now. So that's how I feel about it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I don't think this is getting any Oscar nominations either. Okay, that's all I wanted to hear. Yeah, no, I... So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? And why is it Harry Styles for best actor? <laughs> Never, ever. I mean, this makes me want to give it to him for Dunkirk. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I think my answer would be Matthew Libatique for the cinematography. If I'm forced to see this again <laughs> when it's streaming, which, again, it's not my least favorite movie of the year, which is crazy. No, not at all. I'm going back to it for that reason, though. It's it's pretty. I think it shows that while certain parts of something can be messy, you have great artists who can still shape something from that. And I think that's definitely what he does here. What would you give it? I would give it production design. I actually really like the production design here. All of the architectural structures. It filmed at the Kaufman House, which is where a lot of the Slim Aaron's photographs were shot. Um, in Palm Springs, and it's the first film that was ever shot there, so it's a cool little fact. And I don't know, like, I love interiors of their houses and how they're decorated. I love the pool and even the Victory headquarters, like, when she goes out there. That's at least interesting. I'm very drawn to it architecturally. Speaking of, 
quick tangent. Dita Von Teese is in this movie for about 30 seconds performing mm-hmm. in a martini glass. And if you want something better to watch, go watch her Architectural Digest home tour. It's fascinating. <laughs> well, and you mentioned the Victory Headquarters, which like perplexed me the entire movie. And I didn't actually understand what it was. The shots yeah. of them driving out there were beautiful. But mm-hmm. the fact that you transport yourself once you touch this building also makes no sense to me. No sense. Like it's radioactive, like which is kind of what I thought the glistening thing from the plane might have been. I, which again does relate to Lost, but I, I didn't love the structure of it because it didn't make sense. It didn't have a purpose. I thought there was going to be more to it. Okay, let's move on quickly. We have some fun movies to talk about. These were kind of nice relief from mm-hmm. these more intense movies, for better or worse. Namely, Do Revenge, which is on Netflix. It stars Camila Mendez and Maya Hawk. I love them as a duo. I think mm-hmm. this take on like Cruel Intentions, Heathers, they mention Fatal Attraction at one point. I think just off the bat, the script was amazing and it kept twisting and keeping you intrigued. It's part of this Gen Z push of all of this content, which is really fun. Yeah, I thought this movie was really fun. It was a great watch after I saw Blonde and needed just something fun and easy and on the lighter side to just make me feel good. Yeah, it has really fun callbacks to those movies that you mentioned. And as someone who grew up watching all of those movies, this was like a welcome addition. And yes, it does have the Netflix gloss Mm -hmm. over it, but it actually has actors who can act, which I really appreciated. Austin Abrams was great as this horrible, horrible boyfriend, Max, who I really like how this movie adds a twist to a lot of these characters and makes them have like certain Gen Z tropes that, you know, the language they use, like talking about safe spaces, how he forms that like fake society that's supposed to uplift women, but he's really the worst guy out of all of them. Like, I really liked that. And I felt like that was... I think along with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies this year, like a fun little way to poke at Gen Z and how they not only like what they think about, but how they communicate um, as a generation. So I really liked that. It was fun. I loved all the cameos like Sophie Turner being in it, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Mm -hmm. It has a great soundtrack. I loved all the music in the movie. The costumes were fun. Yeah, it was just a it's just a good time. Like if you need something on Netflix that is just a fun, easy watch with your friends, this is a perfect option. Probably the only thing I would recommend right now that you could throw on, pay attention to, or just leave it on in the background. I will definitely be rewatching this movie. It's so fun. And I, we have to mention that she has an emotional support lizard named Oscar winner, winner Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Coleman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I love and also seems very Maya Hawk too. It does. My only complaint about the script, and this is very, very small, is that I think they had potential to make a Phantom Thread reference with the mushroom poisoning because I know Maya Hawk's character would be into that movie. It's very mm-hmm. her. Well, they talk about Godard. Like, yeah. of course she would be. And Glenergy. Glenergy is the best <laughs> line of the movie about Gwen Close. There are also some great horror movies that have come out this year that I think are fun watches. Um, Barbarian is in theaters now and is an absolutely wild time that 
I would recommend to anyone who likes horror. Do not read anything about it before you go see it. Don't read reviews. Don't read the synopsis. You can watch the trailer, but it's still going to surprise you. This one is in theaters now, and it stars Bill Skarsgård, who you might recognize from... Well, you wouldn't really recognize him, I guess, because he's Pennywise and he has all of that makeup on, but <laughs> he's in It. Um, Justin Long is in this. Georgina Campbell. Barbarian is this year's Malignant, and it's incredible. This movie takes quite a few turns, and it's fun not to even know a premise. And I still haven't seen the trailer, but maybe I'll go back and see if I would have liked it if I had seen that. I think you still, I think you still would. The trailer's a, it's a good trailer and it doesn't give anything away really. Okay. Next up, we mentioned Pearl a little bit earlier on. This is also in theaters now. This is the prequel to X, which came out earlier this year, directed by Ty West. It's namely about Pearl, who is in that movie played by Mia Goth and her character from 1918. So it's a fun prequel. We learn about her character And who she was, because in X, we learn about her life as a dancer or wanting to be a dancer. And we go back to that time when she had ambitions and saw these really old black and white films on the big screen. So I think this is really fun. There are also a lot of nods to The Wizard of Oz and her connection to Dorothy. I am so intrigued by this trilogy and I'm excited for Maxine. That'll probably come next year. But Mia Goth just absolutely destroys this performance. She's so great. It's very much a slow burn for her, and she does an incredible job with that. I definitely preferred X to Pearl. Pearl, to me, did feel sort of like it was thrown together at the last minute, which it was. They got the idea when they finished shooting X and then made it rather quickly. And I think you do feel that, but um, I like the allusions to the Spanish flu as they were shooting during COVID. I thought that was interesting, and... Mia Goth does give a fantastic performance. I specifically think her monologue near the end is just a knockout. Mm. I love her in this. Next, we have Resurrection, which is on VOD. This came out at Sundance. This is the um, Rebecca Hall film. Tim Roth is also in it. This is a slow burn for sure. It has a really interesting premise where like this woman, she lives like a very hyper-controlled life. She's really successful. And you're meant to take her seriously right away. She's a single mom. And then all of a sudden, her life is just thrown upside down when this man from the past comes back to haunt her. And it takes some very, very weird turns that I wasn't expecting based on the structure of the beginning. But I think it's definitely worth a watch just for the performances alone. Yeah, Rebecca Hall does great work here. She also has a seven-minute monologue at the end of the movie, which just changes everything for this character i think even despite the ending which kind of went too far for me i would still recommend watching it even if it was just for her some of the horror of it is like really hard to watch and some of that is just in like them communicating together which again speaks to the filmmakers them doing an amazing job understanding the tension and with Rebecca like the changes in her makeup and her appearance her costumes like she looks like a skeleton by the end and it's it's scary but she is so good and then last one we have we have Speak No Evil which is a film from Denmark it's currently on Shutter and also available on VOD this was 
the most disturbing of them all for me. It's about a family that stays with another family that they met on holiday, and everything that happens is wrong. It's another slow burn, and it uses a lot of those horror tropes of, like, you need to get out of there. Like, you're just yelling at the screen the whole time, but it does it in such a way that is so effective and what I felt this movie could have been over, I looked at the screen and it I still had an hour left. And I was like, mm-hmm. holy crap, what is going to happen? So this is maybe not one you need to go in blind, but is one that will probably stay with me for the longest out of any of these, just from how it made me feel. Yeah, I'm going to say just off the top, this movie is not for the faint of heart. You might be watching it and think, like, I'm fine. This isn't too bad. This is just really creepy. But the ending, like, the third act really takes it to a level that disturbed me on a molecular level that I haven't really experienced in a horror movie in a really long time. The ending is so awful. I can't even... That's the only thing I feel like I do need to say about the movie because I do think you should go in blind. But I also think, like, you should be warned. Like, this is not easy it will make you feel sick and i i watch a ton of horror and i felt horrible after this (laughs) i like the slow burn i thought it was incredibly dark and disturbing but i liked the twists and turns and how it slowly sort of revealed more information as it went Mm -hmm. and it felt kind of like if you've seen the strangers Mm -hmm. that movie similar in the motivation behind our villains i'll say that So that was our September release roundup. We have a lot of movies and theaters to check out right now. And also by the time this episode is out, Bros is also out. I think maybe the last big release of September. I'm upset that we can't talk about it yet on the pod, but I will definitely be seeing this as soon as possible. I already have my tickets, so another one to check out. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be going back in time. We are doing a 50th anniversary episode on Bob Fosse's Cabaret. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. And you and I also both recently saw the stage show in London, and I was blown away by it. So I can't wait to talk about that a little bit, too, as we talk about the movie and why it lost Best Picture to The Godfather. Yeah, this is a great anniversary to cover. I'm excited to compare the two versions. I haven't seen the film in a few years, but I think just a big year at the Oscars. So we'll kind of get to dive deeper and play off of our episode on The Godfather and just keep enjoying Fosse's universe. We love the Fosse cinematic universe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. If you like our show, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. If you love our show, we also have bonus content available on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. We have our Benefer series. The second episode in that is coming soon. And we also have a fun little Halloween spooky season theme coming soon as well. So be sure to get on that and check us out there too. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Thank you.